What a great day. Pastor Patty and Jeff are away. They are um, taking some holidays. They've got a couple weeks of holidays that's happening, and so they're away. Pray for them uh, as they get some rest and as they enjoy some time uh, up at a cottage, I believe, just kind of resting and relaxing for the next little while. Thank you for all your prayers. Many of you have talked to me knew that my son got married last week, and so I thank you for the prayers. Many of you mentioned that. Yes, it was great. Fantastic. Woo! My son, Jared, married uh, Beth, just an incredible, incredible girl, and we are just so thankful. I had about three or four people at the end of the first service say, I didn't realize you had a son. <laughs> yep. 23, he's our oldest. Uh, you know the daughters, Madison and Chelsea, because they're here quite a bit, but Jared just graduated university in Waterloo, so we don't get to see him as much. But it was an incredible day. Thank you for praying for them, and thank you for praying for us as we are away. I had the privilege of, of doing the ceremony for them. So you can imagine, I didn't cry at all, right? Right? You knew that. You knew I'd be like a rock, right? I bawled like a baby. It was embarrassing. So... But it was good. You know, I, um, I, I, I've been anticipating this for some time, and so I've been a bit anxious about it. Uh, but it was just an incredible day to see the presence of God in their life and, the, and the, the, the work that they're about to do and the ministry that they're doing and the involvement that they have in God's work. It's just incredible to see. So I, I held it together really well. I started to cry a few times, and I, I got a hold of it. When my son came up at the front, the two of us are bawling, so we couldn't talk to each other, so we kind of got got control and everything was good. And then I began to read scripture. And as I'm reading the scripture, I could hear in my head that I'm reading it about two octaves too high, right? It's kind of like, oh God, that's so, so I had to pause and calm down and then be able to present it in a, in a very uh, controlled manner. But it was a great day. So thanks for praying for us and uh, for praying for them. Today, we are going to take a quick look at Moses just a general understanding of the path that Moses took. Simply, uh, we're going to understand a little bit more about Moses and understanding that he is more human than hero, that he is really just like you and I. He had a, a great start to life and a great finish to life, but there was a piece in the middle that just kind of showed his humanity, that just kind of uh, allowed us to see a glimpse of the, the battles and the challenges that he has like all of us have. And so the story of Moses is found in the book of Exodus. And we're just going to highlight the first three or four chapters today. Just the story of uh, how God called him and used him in a very powerful way. And how he used his humanity and the weakness of Moses and, and, and continued to work through Moses' life, even in his weakness. But let me start by asking you this question, what's in your hand? What do you have? Who are you? What talents, gifts, finances, ideas that you have in your hand that maybe you hold on to? What's in your hand? God asked Moses that question. He asked Moses that question at a very difficult time in his life. He asked him that question at a time when Moses was at his lowest, if you know the story of Moses, it kind of goes like this. Moses, uh, as a newborn, uh, was hid by his mother to protect his life. The Israelites were slaves. The Hebrews were slaves to Egypt. And the Egyptians, for 400 years, controlled the Israelites in slavery. 
And the Israelites became such a large nation that just the mass and the volume became a threat to Egypt. And so the Pharaoh, the king, decided that he would put out a decree that all of the baby boys that were born would be put to death. They'd be thrown in the Nile and they would drown. And so the midwives were ordered to throw the babies into the Nile. And Moses' mother, a midwife who had given birth, had taken this new baby boy and thought, I'm going to hide him and created a basket and put him in the basket and sent him out in the river and was hiding him there. And one day the king's daughter, the pharaoh's daughter, was down by the river and heard the cry of the baby and sent a servant out and they, they fetched out of the, the reeds and the weeds, they fetched out this basket and opened up this basket and there is this baby boy, this baby Israelite, this Jewish boy, this Hebrew and the Egyptian princess said, I want to raise this baby as my own. Off at a safe distance was the older sister who was kind of keeping an eye out over Moses. And when the princess had taken Moses from the water, she comes running over and says, hey, I know a lady that could come and help you raise this child. And so she ran back and got her mother, Moses' mother, and Moses then and the mother were invited into the home to raise this child for the princess. And Moses then began to grow up in Egypt as Pharaoh's grandson. And you can imagine the privileges that would be given to him the privileges of a prince, the wealth, the education, the influence, the power, the training, even the military training. Moses would have been given all of those things, all of that at his disposal. Being raised by his Israelite mom, teaching him the laws of God, the foundation of God, while being raised and influenced in this Egyptian home, and all that authority given to him. It is said that he would have had military training, and in all likelihood would have been, history says, that he was actually a general in the Egyptian army, and that he has significant battles to his credit as a general of that army, a very powerful and influential man. But yet he had this understanding and this knowledge that the nation that he truly belonged to was held in slavery in Egypt. And so there was this conflict within his life, the privilege and the power of an Egyptian, but yet the understanding that he is part of God's people, destined to do great things through God's promises. And so this battle would be raging within him. And at about the age of 40, he, this conflict seems to increase within his life. And one day when he's out surveying the land and he's, he's surveying the slaves and he's taking a look at all that the Egyptians are doing, he notices an Egyptian man beating an Israelite slave and being extremely abusive to this man. And Moses becomes very irate knowing that this is his heritage and these are God's people. And so he steps in and he takes advantage of his power and his authority and he sends the Israelite away and then he kills the Egyptian in anger. Knowing that this was some kind of a mistake, knowing that this is something he clearly should not have done, he buries the Egyptian in the sand. He takes what he knows is wrong and he hides it and he buries it and he covers it in the sand. 
The next day, as he's going about his business doing the same thing, he sees two Israelites fighting, two slaves fighting. And he steps in and he says, what are you doing? He's thinking in his mind that he's going to be able to to bring relief to the slaves and possibly step in and, and negotiate something that's going to be very, very different for the slaves. And so he sees them fighting and he's, he's confused and he steps in and he says, what are you doing? You shouldn't be fighting. And the Israelites, knowing what he did the day before, revealed it to him and said, what are you going to do to us what you did to the Egyptian? You're going to kill us and bury us in the sand and hide that too? Moses became very afraid. He was afraid because his sin was exposed because what he had done the day before had been exposed. And he knew as an Israelite, killing an Egyptian would bring punishment. And the king heard about what he had done. The Pharaoh had heard about what he had done and, and, and uh, wanted him killed, wanted him destroyed. And so Moses then runs, he takes off, and he leaves Egypt, and he runs up into the hills. His humanity begins to show. He has all the privilege and all the power, and when crisis comes, he buries the sin, and he runs away from it, and he hides in the mountains. He's run, he's left Egypt. He's looking for some security somewhere hidden, protected. He meets a man named Jethro, and he stays and he lives among Jethro's people in the area of Midian. He ends up marrying one of Jethro's daughters, and he sets himself up for a very quiet, private, hidden life. And for 40 years, he lives that life. He lives that life kind of on the backside of the mountain. No longer in the high-profiled uh, position in Egypt, but he is now run in fear and in embarrassment and in shame, and he finds this family, and he hides out on the backside of the mountain. And for 40 years, the Scriptures say that he was tending sheep. Tending sheep for 40 years. They're not even his sheep. The sheep belong to his father-in-law. He has gone from the heights of influence and power and money and authority all the way down to the lowly life of a shepherd on the backside of the mountain tending somebody else's animals. You know what a shepherd does all day? This is what a shepherd does. (sighs) That's what a shepherd does. Sits on a rock. Watches the sheep. Every now and then, maybe he'd get up and he'd move the sheep to another valley and he'd sit there, camp there at night. Might be gone for weeks or months, just moving the sheep around. Now, I'm sure there were seasons where it would get busy and they'd have to tend to the animals in a different way, maybe shearing the wool and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, the shepherd just sat there and watched the sheep. 
For 40 years, that's what he did. And I wonder what kind of things had gone through his mind at that time over those 40 years, wondering if maybe he might have been a piece of influence that could have set the Israelites free had he done it a different way. If maybe there was some guilt or some shame that was involved in his thinking as he wondered if maybe strategically God had placed him in that home and in that family to be an influence to bring better conditions for the slaves, better conditions for the Israelites, and possibly even to negotiate their release. For 40 years, I'm sure he thought about it, and he sat over here, what could have if I hadn't have made that decision? What could have been? I wonder, even as he's tending the sheep, if he ever thought if there would be a time for redemption for him, and at the age of 80, tending someone else's sheep, maybe not. Maybe he thought... Life had passed him by, and the influence that he had would never come his way again. The privilege that we have when we read these stories, we can read the end of it, but in in it, in that moment, I wondered, what did Moses think? What kind of anguish and torment did he have in his heart for the things that he had done and the influence that he had lost? And so he's sitting there one day, probably feeling like God had forgotten all about him, on the backside of the mountain, hidden, doing very little. One day when he's back there, he sees a bush on fire. And if you read the Scriptures, he doesn't run to the bush going, unbelievable, I never lit that fire. That thing just lit up. That is crazy. No, he didn't do that. It says that he just sat there watching the bush burn. It was probably a common sight, probably like a tumbleweed or a dry brush that's in this very dry land. And uh, history would say that it would, be, it would not be uncommon for these, these little brush fires to happen in these bushes as, as maybe the reflection of the sun would come off a piece of pottery or a shiny stone or maybe some shiny mineral or something that was in the ground. And that magnifying reaction would take place and that bush would begin to burn. And Moses watched that and it says that he watched that burn, but he noticed the miracle when the bush was not consumed. He knew God was in this. So as he's sitting there watching the bush, he's thinking that that's not burning up. Now there's a curiosity in his heart and he gets up and he moves towards the bush and God speaks to him and says, Stop. This is holy ground. Take off your shoes. I want to speak to you. What if that moment happened to you? What would that feel like for you? Maybe there's something you've done. You've buried it in the sand, a bad decision. We've all done it. We've all got stuff in the sand, right? Sometimes we, we feel like maybe God has, has left us and moved on because of what we've hid in the sand. But I wonder what it was like for Moses at that moment. I know for me, I know what it would have been like. I know that as I walked towards that bush, if I heard God's voice speak to me, I, I would have felt a sense of relief in my heart. 
a sense of empowerment that God didn't abandon me, that God is there. And after 40 years of hiding on the backside of the mountain and tending sheep, I probably had many, many days where I sat there and said, oh God, why have you abandoned me? Could you please give me that position of influence or, or put me in a position where I could do something for you or, 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 or can I find a path that would be glorifying and pleasing to you? I'm sure I would have had those moments when I've been begging out to God, saying, God, please do something for me. Please open up an opportunity. And so when I hear God's voice in that, I would have run to it and said, God, thank you. It's about time. I've been back here with these dumb sheep for years. Thanks for coming to me, not Moses. Moses immediately pushes back against God. God begins to reveal a plan to say, I want you to go and I want you to speak to Pharaoh and I want you to to demand my people to go. And when he says no, uh, then you just say that, that, that you are representing God, God Almighty. You go and you tell him those things and and, and Moses says, well, what if he doesn't believe me? And what if this happens? And, and I don't want to go. And all this kind of stuff kept coming back. He kept pushing back on God's direction. And God says, then I'll create miracles and I'll show things and we'll send plagues and then we'll send the locusts and we'll send the, the frogs. And if he continues to say no, we'll turn the river into blood. And, and God is speaking all these things. And I would be going, yes, thanks, God. Yeah, I'm ready. Moses is going, no, no, not me, not me. Not me. God says to Moses, in all of this, what he's saying is he's saying, Moses, I need you. I need you to do this. And Moses says, no, not me. I'm a wanted man in Egypt. I killed a man. There's a a, a warrant out for my arrest. There's a bounty on my head. If I go back there, they're going to know who I am. They're going to know what I've done. And and your plan is going to come to an end immediately because I'm a wanted man. I can't go back there. I'm a criminal, not me. Don't send me. I can't go. And God says, but I need you. And Moses says, but I can't speak well. I'm slow of of speech. I stutter. I'm not good in front of people. I don't speak well. God says, but I need you. Send Aaron. Aaron is the high priest and he could negotiate these things and, and he is the one that negotiates contracts and he already has influence in Egypt. Don't send me, send Aaron. He's the high priest. He's the logical one. I am so far removed from being the right person. Send Aaron. He's the one. And God says, but I need you to go. And then God asks Moses this question. He says, Moses, what's in your hand? What do you got? What are you holding on to? What's in your hand? Moses is a shepherd. He's got a stick in his hand. He's got his staff, right? Now, do you think when God asked Moses that question, he asked him that question because he didn't know what it was? You think it was God going, hey, Moses, what is that? (laughs) It's a stick, God. It does stick stuff. (laughs) No, I've said this before. 
when you're reading the Bible and you come across a question that God asks, we need to understand that when he asks those questions, he doesn't ask them because he doesn't know the answer. He asks them because he needs us to get a revelation. He needs to have us have a greater understanding of his purpose and his plan and what he is doing at that moment. And so he says to Moses, what's in your hand? He said, it's a stick. It's my staff. That stick, that staff has a physical limited purpose. It's designed to do certain things and certain things only. It's a stick. It's probably, it probably comes from a, from a very hard wood. And that stick would be used to, to steady Moses as he walks across rough terrain. He would use it as, as a guide or as a helper, as a cane. That stick was probably used uh, to discipline the sheep as they would maybe uh, get out of line. He could tap them back into line. It was probably something that he used to defend the sheep against wolves or animals that would come to try and kill. It would be used as a weapon. Or, or, or maybe it had a, a crook or a hook on the end of it, and he could use that to guide the sheep out of a crevice or to reach down to a lamb and help them and pull them back up to safety. It was a stick. It had limited, restricted purposes. And then God says, release it. Let it go. So Moses takes that stick and he throws it down, he releases it, and it becomes a snake, a miracle. And he reaches down and he grabs it by the tail and it becomes a stick again. When we release what we hold on to, when we release what we have in our hands, uh, our, our purpose, our talents, our families, uh, our ideas, our ministry, our finances, when we are able to release those things and let them go, they can become anything God so desires them to be. That was just a stick. Limited because of its stutter. Or limited because of what it had buried in the sand. Limited because of history or bad decisions. Limited because of its ability or lack of it. It had limited, restricted principles. But when it was released, God had purpose and plan for it. We saw that stick, if you continue to read In Exodus, you see how that stick is used for many different purposes that have nothing to do with being a stick. You can see and read about how that stick would be taken and it would hit a rock and water would be poured out or or how they would hold that stick up over a battle and while that stick was in the air, the Israelites would win and when the stick would begin to lower, they would lose and they would come and hold up that stick again and the battle would be won. There were principles in play in those things when they were released from from our hands and given to God to do as He so desires. And so I ask, I ask you today, what's in your hand? What do you have that you could release to God today for a greater purpose than what it can do in your hand? Is it an idea? Is it the capacity to start a small group Bible study? 
Is it to be involved in kids' ministry or to, to get involved in a, in a Bible study at school or maybe at work or to have influence somewhere outside of the church or even within your own community? Are they ideas? Is it finances that you could release that God could multiply and do incredible things with? Is it ability or talent or giftings? Sometimes releasing these things can be very, very frightening and very scary. And sometimes we can think like Moses and we can say, you know, I've got stuff buried in the sand and I don't know if I'm the right person to be involved in those things, in the new ministries or new opportunities. But we serve a God who has redemptive powers. We serve a God who sees who we are and loves us as we are and gives us opportunity even though we know that there's stuff in the sand. So what's in your hand? You know, I I would dare say that uh, God has spoken to some of you in years past, given you opportunity for ministry or vision for something that you've yet to see come to pass. Maybe you're saying, God, when is that going to happen? When am I going to see my family come together like that? Or when am I going to see that ministry or that opportunity come to place? When am I going to see that begin to take off? Maybe you just need to find things to begin to release to say, God, I'm just going to open up and I'm going to just try stuff. I'm just going to release things so that you can be empowered in my life. I remember, I mentioned my son earlier, I remember when Jared was just born, he was only a few days old, and we had been traveling in ministry, so uh, we didn't have a home, we just had an RV, and in the summers we'd come home, we'd spend time with family, and Jared was just born, he was a few days old, and, and, and I'm going through that, that swing of emotion, right? I'm a new dad, and I, man, just so proud and so amazed at this this creation of God that I'm holding and the sun and the potential that was in my hands only a couple days old. And then my fear would rise up and I would have these flashes in my mind of, of disaster and disease and pain. And I would be tormented with this. And then I would go back to thinking about all the potential and how great God is and how amazing this is. And for about three days, I went through this battle where I wasn't sleeping well and I'm anguished over this kind of stuff. And I'm fearful for my son and I don't know, I'm being consumed by this fear. And I remember standing out on my father-in-law's deck in Kobaka where their house is. And I remember holding Jared. I remember crying and saying, God, I can't take this anymore. I need to release my son to you. I can't take this. I need to just know that you have him. Whatever happens, it's your plan and it's your purpose. And this sense of peace just filled my heart. And I knew that God, he's God's. He belongs to God. And that fear and that, 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 that anxiety disappeared. And I think along the same lines today as I think of this scripture, I think the fear and the anxiety would hold us back from releasing things to God. And today I want to encourage you that when you release those things from God, they can become whatever God so desires them to be. What's in your hand? And so today we're going to move into communion. We're going to partake, we're going to remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ together today.
And I want you to know that even though we may have stuff buried in the sand, it's the blood of Jesus. It's this actual uh, remembrance today. It's these moments that say, I am no longer controlled by what has happened and been back here, but I stand blameless before God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for my sin. And I stand blameless before God. And so today, I want us to partake of communion together to remember his death, to remember his resurrection, but also to remember that we stand blameless before God. So here's what I'd like to do. If you are a believer in Jesus, this is open to anybody. This doesn't have to be your home church. And if you're still on a journey and you're searching for God, maybe today is that moment when you find Jesus. We would invite you to partake as well. But we want you to come. And here's what we'll do is we'll come and we'll get the emblems, the bread, and some juice, and then just go back to your seat and hold it. And then we'll take it together. But as you come, as you wait in line, as you go back to your seat, I want you just to open up your heart and your hand, and I want you to pause and say, God, speak to my heart. What could I release to you today that would have greater influence in your hands than it does in mine? What could I release today that would go further in advancing the kingdom as you would use it than it would if I kept it? So let's think on those things. Let's pray about those things as you come. Will you do that? Just come out of your seat. There are eight stations. There are two at the back. There's three in the middle, two in the front. Just find your way to one of those stations. Grab some bread, some juice. Head back to your seat and we'll continue in prayer. Thank you, Jesus.
Jesus gathered with the disciples and he took bread and he broke it and he said this is my broken body this represents my broken body this is broken for you and he taught the disciples to remember his death and his resurrection through this simple um practice of communion and so today we continue this tradition this remembrance by taking the bread and remembering the broken body of Christ for us the stripes on his back which can bring healing through that brokenness so today together let's take the bread just to remember God's brokenness Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And after, in the same way, he took the drink and he poured the wine. And he said, he said, drink this to remember the, the shed blood, the death through that death comes forgiveness of sin and the resurrection that brings life. So we no longer have to live with the judgment of things buried in the sand, but we can stand blameless and pure before God because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so today, let's, let's take this and just remembering the shed blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. Thank you, Lord. Let's take a moment. Just begin to thank God. Will you do that? Just take a moment. Begin to thank God for his goodness, for his forgiveness, for his redemptive power. Begin to thank God for the freedom that we have in him. That death no longer holds us, but we have life in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Worship team's just going to lead us in the song. Can we sing it again together? Open up your heart, your spirit, to receive what God has for you as we sing this song again together. Give me faith to trust what you
Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Lord, in our weakness, you are strong. In our brokenness, you come and you restore. So, Lord, we are thankful for restoring us today, for establishing us strong in your faithfulness. So, Lord, we ask that you would be with us as we go, that we would hear from you this week. Teach us to let go of things that we hold on to. Teach us to release things that you might use them to empower us. Father, as we go, we ask that you would allow us to do good in this community, that you would allow us to love each other and in that reveal Jesus. So as we go out from this place, Lord, give us strength to go with like heart, like mind, and like spirit to do good, to love each other, and to reveal Jesus. We thank you for your faithfulness and your love today. Be with us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless, folks. Thank you for being here. Have a great week. May God go with you.